It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team. Every day. Shot blocked. Porzingis with his fourth rejection. Courtney Lee for three. Beasley lines up. Milikina. What he does is contagious. Becomes infectious. Handle across the lane. Baker launches it. Jack to Porzingis. Fires up a ball. Welcome, everybody, to Lockdown. The podcast that's in the 99th percentile of explaining, complaining, and entertaining. I'm your host, James Marcina, a.k.a. Fat Trick Ewing. You may know me as the founder of NBA Injury Report on Twitter, and this is episode... 311. Amber was the color of her energy. <laughs> oh, sorry for that. On today's sode, we're joined by the fantastic Coles Wicker from the Stepian. The Stepian, if you are not familiar yet, get familiar. Clinton Sparks drop. Uh, it's just a wonderful site about the NBA draft. And I think everyone should run, not walk, over to the Stepian.com. We are going to talk about two young men who could potentially fall to the Knicks at nine. So the theme of today's episode is incredible talents who, for one reason or another, may find themselves slipping in the draft. It's an outside shot for both of these guys, but in the past couple weeks, there have been some rumblings that it is, in fact, an outside shot. It's not a lock that they will go before the next draft. I happen to think they will, but since their names are out there, I want to discuss them. Trey Young, Michael Porter Jr., Cole is going to help us break it down. Hit it, Moth! Yes! So I want to start by talking about Michael Porter Jr., someone who, at the beginning of uh, the college season, would have been unthinkable to be mentioned 
around where the Knicks are drafting, although lately there are some rumblings that he could perhaps fall for a variety of reasons. I want to start kind of at the top with him by asking you a question sort of about your process of scouting someone like Michael Porter Jr. Like, how do you go about scouting a player like him who has such a small amount of college film? Obviously, he has high school tape, but how much can you rely on that? And how much can you rely on the college tape given that I mean, he barely played before he got hurt, right? And then he barely played when he came back, and that's after injury. So what are the sort of solutions that you find for trying to just find good tape on him, uh, projecting him? How do you approach someone like him? It's definitely a challenge just because AAU tape and high school tape, to me, isn't super reliable for sussing out things like high-level skills and especially IQ and awareness as far as in a team construct, both offensively and defensively. Uh AAU basketball is more to showcase like open-court athleticism, and you can see the shooting equity that a guy like Michael Porter has. He can rise off the dribble from 28 feet, knock down a three, but it is challenging to really suss out is this guy really a basketball player or is he just a 6'10 guy who can shoot off the dribble and like play competent on ball defense we'll see how switchable he is but as far as his sample at Missouri very discouraging sample clearly but you I don't know how much stock you could really put into it he wasn't even he couldn't even dunk in a transition setting he's not Andrew Wiggins as an athlete but he is relatively explosive so he didn't have his legs he didn't have any kind of concept on how to fit into that team he took a lot of contested shots you could just see he was really rusty and he wasn't he was probably 60 percent of himself as far as an athlete so he's really tough at least for him you have a lot of evident lower level tape you have some FIBA tape of him you have him at the hoop summit so we've seen this guy I've seen him a ton because he actually his senior year of high school he went to Nathan Hale which is about 20 minutes from my house okay so I've seen him I've seen him locally at the high school level but again he's being face guarded by multiple six one white guys like how are you going to really profile that <laughs> to the next level you know what I mean so it's really right. really tricky um it, it's it's funny um when I was trying to go find some scouting videos I, I found a couple of that were only dissecting his film from Missouri, and I was watching it, and I was, it was interesting to hear you put that 60% number on it, because to me, from my amateur eye, I, I thought this is not even close to the same guy um, that you know I saw from his tape from high school, even given the inferior competition. Um, do you think that it was a mistake for him to come back, or, did you, or do you think that it was crucial for him to kind of show that he was at least on the road to recovery with his back like how much do you think him going out there looking way less than 100 percent did to influence his draft stock i didn't see the upside in doing it he was never going to get picked number one unless he went out and really showed up but given the state that we saw him in physically i don't understand the upside play there i mean he has enough backing i guess some lower level tape where executives aren't going to be super panicked but if you're coming back and you're not even in the realm of 100 percent healthy and it's coming (laughs) late in the season when you don't really know what's going on in the offense it just looked really poor like the display was not representative of what he is necessarily so I don't think it crippled his stock for sure I think the upside is there and there's enough of a sample like I said but I I didn't get the upside of the play I think he just wanted to show that he's like physical that's been a thing with him in the past is this this guy mentally tough is he physical I think that's why he did it to show guys like I'm going to play through the injury I can do this stuff but from a vantage point of just showcasing your skills at the highest level and being representative of what you are as a player, I, I didn't understand the play. So what made him such a highly touted prospect coming out of high school? If someone who's listened to this pod is familiar with him a little bit, but 
hasn't really gotten into the details yet. Like, what were his really elite skills? What what, what is he flashing that made him? Uh, I mean, would you say he was top three coming into the season? Pretty general consensus. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. especially after the week of hoop summit practices, I was there a year ago, and he was the best player on the floor, and that was a loaded class. But he definitely stood out over the course of the week as the best talent. I think you got to start with the six ten intersection with his shooting ability. You just don't find that in a lot of guys. Like he can run off a pin down and shoot over the top. He can elevate over the top of guys consistently at that size. Guys who can do that at the NBA level, he's not Durant, obviously, as far uh-huh. as an overall talent. But the guys who have that size and shooting ability off the dribble, uh, Paul George is another one. They're incredibly hard to guard. Like You can't really take those guys away. So that skill alone gives him credibility at the top of a draft just because you don't find that in a plus athlete. Not a dynamic, dynamic athlete, but his the overall package that he brings for his size and his shooting ability you just don't see guys like that who can also put the ball on the floor a little bit so i was watching um tape on him and you know obviously like you said one of his you know strengths is this off the dribble shooting and so i was paying attention to his shooting form um what do you is it at all troublesome (laughs) like is it possible that his shot is overrated? I'm not saying it is, um, but I just when we do get this kind of like received wisdom, a lot of times um, from experts such as yourself, and where some you know we're lay people trying to uh, figure out what's going on here. Like, why do you believe in his shot? Is it because of the just how it looks, the form? I mean, the one thing that I thought was a little interesting uh, that I didn't ex- kind of expect to see once I start digging into it is he does this thing with his legs where he kind of I don't know how if this is a problem at all but where he sort of almost kicks them like back and up almost like I'm not trying to like make fun of the guy but it almost reminds me of like a cheerleader jump you know when they kind of like lift their their feet up like almost like doing the burpees or something like they're kicking their butt (laughs) uh he's got a little bit of that and sometimes it I don't it almost feels like he's borderline shooting on the way down it's like it almost feels like a little bit of a late release which maybe doesn't matter cuz he's so tall but what do you see there in terms of you know shooting mechanics is 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 does he repeat it um does it well translate you know to the next level Yeah I think the positives there seeing him shoot in person he just has really good overall upper body mechanics and Mm -hmm. the touch is pretty phenomenal like he he was really convincing as a shooter at the week of hoop summit practice just seeing him up close there's a lot that's mechanically right about his shot i kind of agree i kind of agree with you as far as his lower body he does have to load up a little bit you see the knee bend and he relies on getting rise in his shot so he's shooting jump shots from everywhere it's not a simple overall process it's not like a more of a, a set shooter he is relying some on that momentum with his knees it works better to me when he's going like faster off the dribble so he can rise up and he has all that momentum in his shot i do worry a little bit about his catch and shoot ability from nba distance when he doesn't have that load time so uh-huh. he's just elevating right up i don't know if, if that's going to be as proficient as some people think i've lowered lessened a little bit my opinion on his shooting i'm not sure if he's a surefire bet to shoot like i was a year ago i, I because of that component i think that the knee bend stuff and just relying on a, being a jump shooter that doesn't always translate easily to NBA range where you have to rely more on obviously distant shots. I'm not sure if he's going to have the overall power from a standstill to be super effective there. I want to pick your brain on potential offensive weaknesses, but before we do that, just want to remind our listeners that they are listening to Lockdown Knicks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team 
every day. We will be right back with Coles Wicker to continue our discussion of Michael Porter Jr. But before we do that, I need to talk to you guys about something a little bit more serious. If you or a loved one lived in, worked in, or visited Lower Manhattan in the months after the September 11th attacks and have been diagnosed with cancer, federal benefits and health care may be available to you. Attorney Eddie Markowitz has helped many families recover substantial benefits from the September 11th Victims' Compensation Fund. The James Adroga Health and Compensation Act, which allows you to claim these benefits, has been extended, but time is limited. Attorney Markowitz is proud to serve as counsel to the Zadroga family, and he can help you too. These benefits are not just for rescue workers, but for anyone who qualifies. The fund covers many cancers, including prostate, skin, lung, and breast cancer. Please call 1-800-LAW-HELP. That's 1-800-LAW-HELP to see if you qualify. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. File with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, so if he had, what, what would you say his biggest offensive weaknesses? What, what does he struggle with on that side of the ball? It's a great question. I think it's his general feel overall as a passer and just how to okay. operate in the confines of an offense. And this is something that is the hardest thing to suss out with him overall is his general IQ and his basketball ability. If he's anything like his brother, Jonte, who's a really, really high level thinker, mm-hmm. like that would be optimal. But we just never really seen him in those settings because at lower levels, he's relying on open court transition play. He's agile enough to get around guys. Um, he's clearly he has that kind of athleticism but it's not like tighter confines pick and roll play we don't see him dribbling in tight spaces that's another weakness of his i think is his handle if you view him in the lens of like a primary guy and especially a wing right. who who's going to create one-on-one i'm not sure if his handle is good enough there he's never been like a super shifty dribbler his control at missouri when he played those two games was horrendous i mean i don't yeah. put, i don't think he's that bad of a dribbler but he, it's not a high level skill again not using this comparison as like a ceiling outcome guy. He's not Kevin Durant, but he also can't dribble like that. He's not that shifty with the ball. Even in, even in open court spaces, he's not that shifty, but especially in tighter confines in the half court. Um, you mentioned Jonte. I've actually heard a couple of people mention him. I don't know much about him. Could you give me a little Cliff's Notes? Sure. He's like basically an older version of Boris Dia who can shoot to me, like that kind of archetype of player. He's really cerebral, high level. I thought he was the most skilled five in the draft he would have stayed in. He can really dribble, pass, and shoot. You see him executing dribble moves from a guy who's 6'11", like crossovers, hesitation moves. He can initiate your offense even at times. He's a freaky skilled guy, um, but the athleticism concerns are real. He obviously uh-huh. had the highest body fat 
highest body fat percentage at the combine. He's never really been in great shape. I think that turned a lot of executives off there just because he's not a high-level athlete. He's not a vertical athlete basically at all. He's, he's pretty good moving his feet, actually. I think he's a little bit underrated as a horizontal guy, but he's a high IQ team defender. He knows where to be. He's basically like the po- polar opposite of Michael in so many capacities. It's really <laughs> interesting that they're brothers. And I, it's like looking at their dad, who's obviously a coach. He's an assistant coach in Missouri. He was at University of Washington before. It's just very interesting to me that they're such, they appear to be such polar opposite players and if you're coached by the same guy growing up it's just very very curious to me (laughs) if only they could merge into one um so let's talk a little bit about the other side of the ball what do you make of his defense i have a friend who has some scouting experience who basically told me he was uh i don't want to quote directly but more or less offended by some of the things that he saw while watching uh, tape on his defense. I, I think he called it a criminal disinterest at times. Do you think... Uh, do, how big of a concern do you think this is? Do you, do you think it's born of not caring, of having sort of a bad attitude? There are, are sort of whispers about Michael Porter as maybe someone who's like a little bit of a prima donna, but I, you know, I haven't seen that in any way confirmed in a definitive way, but... You know, you do kind of hear these kind of things at this time of year. You never know what's a smokescreen, people putting stuff out because they want him to fall, that kind of thing. But what do you think about his defense? Can it improve? Um, is it um, underrated or is it overratedly bad? Or are we properly rating him by saying he's a really bad defender? I'm definitely skeptical. I'll, I'll put it that way. If you're sensing a theme throughout this conversation, it's that I think Michael Porter is the most difficult prospect in the class to evaluate. Okay. <laughs> and I think this plays into his defense, too. Like, he's not a high-level team defender as far as making rotations. Some of that's disinterest. Some of that might just be lack of feel, again, and lack of IQ on that side of the floor. I think his switchability is probably a little overrated. We saw the his stance at Missouri. Like, he couldn't even really bend. Yeah. Like, he just looked really inflexible and really stiff moving on the perimeter. He's not like that normally. But if that's going to be his state after the back injury he really limits his switchability because that's what he has to win it's more so about switching on the perimeter um i think he's more again of a big i think he's a four or five if you look at him in that context he's not super tough or physical inside that's always been kind of one of the knocks against him again so is he going to be able to guard more physical players like actually box out at a high level and really fight guys on the interior these are all question marks i do think that at his peak i saw him play marvin bagley at les schwab in person a year and a half ago and when he was engaged, he was locking down Bagley pretty easily. Um, and Bagley's not Bagley's not like the best ball handler or anything, but he's definitely skilled enough to, to pose a threat there with his pretty decent first step. So Michael Porter got in his, he got into his body a little bit, and he was able to stay in front. So that was encouraging to see. Bagley also moved him around a little bit on, on the interior on the offensive glass. But as far as how I see his defense at the next level, I'm, I think it's more passable. Like, I, he has components of Paul George on offense. I don't think he's Paul George defensively, if that makes sense. I just don't think he's going to be that switchable. He's not that high IQ. So mm-hmm. I would view it more skeptically if I'm approaching it. Okay. Um, now, you mentioned um, he figures to play, you know, as a big pretty frequently. He is 6'10", 6'11", right in that range. Um, how's his rebounding for someone of that size? I think it's pretty sufficient. I'm not totally worried about it. Like he does try on on the glass. I think he has the reach and he has the enough elevation to rebound in traffic. I don't know if he's a really high level rebounder. He's not obviously like if you're comparing him in this class to other bigs, he's not Aiton as far as like high pointing and like being that physical right. of a player. Um, 
the physicality stuff does concern me a little bit because he is more of a finesse skill guy in theory than he is like a mix it up in the paint guy. But I'm not super concerned about his rebounding, especially from the four spot. I think it'll be sufficient there. If you get into small ball five lineups against some personnel, I think he's going to struggle a little bit. Does he have any uh, rim protection in him at that size? Yeah, I mean, in theory, <laughs> he has the reach, he has the size to yeah. be a weak, a weak side guy. It's it's the same thing with Marvin Bagley. He's, he's not quite the leaper as Marvin Bagley, but same measurables for the most part. And it just comes down to timing and how good they are in a team construct rotating over. He made a couple ridiculous plays in the Hoop Summit game as far as his he showcases ability to really high point challenge um, shots on the interior. He rotated and he really just skied for this one block. Mm-hmm. I, you've seen very few 6'10 guys who can do that. So it's there. Uh, it's conceptual, but I'm not sure if all of the instinct stuff, the timing stuff is going to be there in that capacity. Okay. So I know you're not a doctor, but obviously with this prospect, we've got to talk about his medical history. Um, I'm wondering if you can kind of fill our listeners in a little bit on what happened there with him and his back and how worried you would be about it Given what you know, uh, I know you don't have access to the medical records just yet, but um, how worried about it would you be, given what you know, if you were a GM uh, with, a, with a lottery pick? Pretty damn worried, Yeah, frankly. I mean, anything to do with a back injury, especially at a younger age, is almost red flag worthy if it's not completely a red flag. And it's interesting because I think he's made some comments like he hasn't played healthy for like the past two, three years. Like the back huh. injury has been pretty consistent. Don't, don't quote me on that verbatim, but I'm pretty right. sure he did say that at some juncture that it had been going on for a while. And it kind of blindsided everybody, of course. Like, we were really amped to watch him. And then all of a sudden, it was like, yeah, this guy has a back injury and he's requiring surgery and stuff like that. So it's very interesting. It's a really interesting dynamic overall because the precedent for back injuries, of course, is not good, especially at a young age. So you really have to be super confident. And all the teams, I guess he's only leaking out his medical reports via the Chicago Bulls. Very curious decision there. So I, I don't know if. I don't know if the clarity is going to be there for some of these other teams if they're not getting access to, you know, with Michael Porter and their, their own team doctors, because this is something you really have to to be confident about. Sure. I mean, it's not, like a back injury is not um, an ankle injury or something or like it, it's pretty I'd, I'd say it's more in line with a big and like foot injuries. In this class, Jared Vanderbilt's a guy with recurring foot injuries for a big. That's really concerning. So I think it's on par more more so with that than it is basically any other kind of injury. Is there a sense out there that he is trying to steer where he lands by, you know, selectively doling out his medical history? That was that's been a theory of ours at the Stepian, and I said this on Sam Bassini's podcast earlier mm-hmm. this year. Is like he has a lot of control here, and I think that's an underrated part. Is he can really dictate potentially where he goes based on this. So that's always been my theory. Is this is how he's going to go about it, just because he does have so much power in this capacity. Do you have a sense of where you think you? I mean, do you think he wants to go to Chicago based on that? I mean, I guess we have to read into it a little bit there, right? I mean, it's hard to... It's certainly, I know, does he have any sort of ties to Chicago? Is he from there? He's not, right? No, he's from the, the like Missouri area. Right, that's what I like thought. He, okay. I don't think he has a... Yeah, he doesn't have a ton of ties. I mean, obviously, he, he went... He was going to go to University of Washington, and then that fell through due to the coaching situation. So he has a little bit of ties to Seattle, but obviously, I mean, they don't have a team. So I don't... <laughs> So the, yeah, no, I feel I'm already dead inside, so it's, it's fine. Um, but yeah, 
for him, it's weird because I thought at the initial part of the process, he'd want to go as high as possible because he, he's come out and said that he's the number one player in this class. He right. said that repeatedly, so he's confident. But he also said that he doesn't really mind going later if he can find the right fit. So maybe uh-huh. he does view Chicago that way. You don't have a problem with him saying he thinks he's the best prospect, do you? That was kind of spun as a, ooh. But I, I, don't, I mean, or, or do no. you? You tell me. I don't no. want the words in your mouth. Not at all. I mean, yeah. this is a confident guy. He came into the year as the number one prospect, like in his class, basically. I think when Bagley reclassified, some people, some sides might have had Bagley ahead of him, but on lower levels, he separated himself even from a DeAndre Ayton type as the guy, and he still thinks of himself that way. And I do have a concern about his self awareness on the floor as far as uh-huh. viewing is he going to be able to play a role at the NBA level? Is he going to want just to get shots up, right? Is he going to be Rudy Gay? Like, that's a concern for me. But as far as him coming out and having confidence in his game, that's a quality that most all of the elite players in the league have is they yeah. they are ultra confident. I think you need that. And if you do look at his tape from high school, I mean, it's it's obvious why he would be ranked as high as he was coming into his freshman season. It's obvious yep. why a lot of people thought he would be the top overall pick. So it's in no way crazy for me. Um, now, all this being said... If he is available to the Knicks at nine, do you think they should pull the trigger on that, or or if they do, what do you think the fit would be? Like, what, how would that work? How would that um, perhaps not work? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends on who else. This is the cop out answer, but who else yeah. is on the board? But it's, for the most part, I don't think you're going to get a higher upside play at that point in the draft at nine. You rarely see a guy like him if he does indeed fall that far. I know ESPN had him mocked recently to 15 i would be stunned if he fell to 15 mm-hmm. we just there's just not a lot of that means the medical was just absolutely horrendous like there's no way that a player of his caliber and pedigree would fall that far but as far as fit on the knicks i mean you could see him playing the four next to porzingis and that's just a ton of shooting if michael's shot translates off the catch especially you're just not going to find many duos that are that potent and being able to invert your offense and just have a ton of floor spacing while also maintaining the size element. There's just not a lot of teams that can really put those two things together. Uh, can he rebound well enough to kind of help Porzingis in that capacity? So it's going to be a great question. He's going to be physical enough to really mix it up inside again. They're, they just don't have good answers to these questions yeah. for the most part. Like, There's just so much uncertainty. But at that point in the draft, I would have absolutely no problem with the Knicks taking him at nine. I think, again, the historical precedent is not – it's not – really in existence as far as an event like that happening the one thing i will say though is when you start to when if he starts to fall in the drafts some guys are going to view it as an opportunity and it's going to be viewed maybe through just a solely optimistic lens like oh we have to pounce on this opportunity but if if he does fall i think that's more of of a red flag frankly i'd be more skeptical because there's a reason he's falling and talents like that don't normally fall that far so that means the maybe the character stuff that we heard about this year about not being a great teammate um that stuff could be real and the injury stuff of course is real so if if he does fall i think it's more it's important to look at the downside not just the upside no i agree i mean he's such a tantalizing prospect but i mean as a knicks fan it's a little scary too to think about having kp with his acl and then michael porter with his back i mean you i think you do just kind of like ah I want to say you just kind of close your eyes and push the button. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. But, I mean, those are those are serious concerns. And like you said, I think if he does fall that far, that's already way past where you would expect someone of his talent level to go, exactly. generally speaking. So, yeah, you, you got to think something's up. Um, cool. I think that was a 
nice quick overview of Michael Porter and what the Knicks could expect out of him if they did happen to draft him. I'd like to move on and talk about Trey Young, another candidate who earlier in the season seemed like, you know, no way would he be around uh, when the Knicks would draft. I still don't think he will be, but there are rumblings that perhaps he could. I think it might be tough to see him getting past Orlando, but you do never know. So I do want to talk about Trey Young. But before I do, just want to remind you guys that you are listening to Locked On Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you like what you hear, head on over to iTunes and rate us five stars. Once again, that's Locked On Knicks. We will be right back with Coles Wicker to talk about Trey Young. But first, we got to talk about sex. Yeah, that's right. Good sex. Now. You can increase your performance and get that extra confidence that I know you need in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. Blue Chew. B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. That's blue like the color blue and chew like chew on this. Ah! BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, 4 in the morning, 6 in the morning, 5 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. I only have sex between 4 and 6. TMI, I know, I'm sorry. Since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever the opportunity strikes. You know you don't. You can't plan this. You can't put it on an Excel spreadsheet. You could, and I'm not trying to kink shame you if you do that, but it's usually not how it works for most of us, right? Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. It doesn't say boner pills all over it, you know, in red lettering. It's discreet. No in-person doctor's visit, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. Unless you're trying to hide it from whoever. That's a whole different thing. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy right now. We got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code. And that promo code is, let's see if you can remember this, NBA. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping when you enter our promo code at BlueChew.com. And that promo code is NBA. Again, that's BlueChew.com, promo code NBA. Try this stuff for free. BlueChew is better cheaper and faster and we want to thank them for sponsoring the podcast thanks blue chew wilson you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar how did you do it i got a huge assist from grammarly an ai writing partner that helped me make my point 96 percent of grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing would you agree Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. So Trey Young, I want to start by talking about some of his skills. Um, 
For me, Trey Young in this draft, a lot of Knicks fans, they look at him as, you know, too small, not defensive-oriented. I think those are fair criticisms. They, you know, they have a lot of point guards right now. They drafted Frank Nilakina last year. Trey Burke came on strong at the end of the season. Emmanuel Moutier, who I have no hope for, um, is on the roster. I hope you put it together, Emmanuel, but I'm not uh, keeping my fingers crossed for that. But... When I look at Trey Young, for me, he's one of the guys whose skills I just have the easiest time seeing translating to the NBA, what he is good at. And I kind of want to talk to you about my own evaluation of that, um, which is not unique. Lots of people think this way, too. Um, But I want to interrogate it a little bit and see if it holds up under scrutiny. And one of those big skills, obviously, is his three-point shooting. Um, you know, kind of lit the the NCAA's on fire with you know his super deep threes, a ridiculous volume. I think it was ten three point shot attempts per game. Um, how do you see his shooting? Do you think it has a chance to be elite? Um, why do you think it will, or why do you think it won't? If you don't think it'll translate. I absolutely think he could be elite shooting, and I think the overall message that you're conveying about his skill level. His skill level is off the charts. When yeah. you look at in conjunction with all his skills, we don't, we don't see prospects like this at his age. Like he's more skilled than a Stephen Curry at at the same age. And you just don't see guys like Kyrie Irving is probably the most recent example, but he can't pass like Trey. So that's the kind of skill level we're talking about. He's just of course smaller at six one. But regarding his shot, I mean the volume is absurd, especially <laughs> NBA threes. I think he took over two hundred NBA threes, uh-huh. uh, which is insane and i think the mechanics really profile well to the nba because again he can shoot from 30 feet easily because he has that one motion shot that just revolves around upward momentum he doesn't need to like knee bend there isn't a lot of extraneous parts to his shot like it's not as high as like a stephen curry his release point his set points a little bit lower it's about mid face but it's so damn quick that he can just get that off in instantaneous motion and he doesn't need big windows to get a shot off. Like he mm-hmm. just he can hit you with a between the legs pull up, and you just won't have time to react to it because it's going up. His trans I think the best way to phrase it is the transition between his handle and his shot is one of the best I've ever seen as far as his Ooh. ball his ball pickup. Like you just don't see guys who can you know again go through his legs or do a hang dribble and just in one fluid motion, lightning quick, just elevate right into your shot. So from a pull up perspective, I think he's there, and his shooting numbers. At, at Oklahoma, I think are actually suppressing his upside there because everything he did was hard. Everything was off the dribble. A lot of it was contested. When he actually moved off the ball, which rarely happened because Oklahoma's offense fell apart when he wasn't doing absolutely everything for it, mm-hmm. I think he was he was 14 of 19. I know it's a small sample, but it's supported by the film. 14 of 19 on open catch-and-shoot shots, threes <laughs> in the half court. Like He's basically a knockdown guy. He yeah. can run off screens and set uh-huh. quickly. So you're really going to see at the next level, I think, if teams are smart. He's not not everything's going to come on the ball. I think that's a mistake that people look at with prospects. He's going to be lethal off the ball as a gravity threat and like a functional shot threat because he can shoot off motion. He he can shoot in basically any capacity with any kind of window. I think he's a knockdown guy. Any doubt at all? Doesn't sound like it. But is there any if you had to, you know, you're a GM, you're about to invest your reputation uh, in this pick. You're picking everything apart. Do you see anything there that is cause for concern <laughs> with his shot? I think it's mostly the lower release point. It's not super high. And if he can't create enough separation on the ball as far as pull up, uh, you can see longer guys really give him some problems potentially. Just like if he's 
like, I don't want to use this extreme example, but like, say he gets switched on to Kawhi Leonard or something. Like, I that's going to be hard for him. It's hard for a lot of guys, but especially him because he doesn't <laughs> right. have the positional size. So that's an element I think that maybe against the high level defensive players who can really crowd him. That's the thing is the threat of his shot is so significant that you have to play up on him. But if you're a wing and you have more length, you can play a little bit off and maybe negate some of that first step advantage that he has. So that's the, really the only issue I see with his shot, the lower release point and the fact that he probably requires a little bit more separation at his size because it's not like he's just going to shoot over the top, of course, like a Michael Porter. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about another one of his skills that to me just seems elite or elite in the making. I mean, his playmaking. I mean, his handle, his passing. Um, where do you view him in these areas is, is he is he gonna be able to translate this to the next level or is it just kind of a college thing um how do you see that yeah i'm right there with you i think i think they're both elite you look yeah. at his handle you break it down and how many dribble moves he already has like he already has the sham god in his game yeah. as far as that goes uh-huh. he did it twice in the same game you just don't see that you just don't see it at all. i mean he can play off crossovers hang dribbles he, he has every move basically in the book half half spins the question with me is not the skill like the skill is there like the the awareness, the passing anticipation is phenomenal with him. He doesn't get nearly enough credit for how good of a passer that he is. People, I think, chalk it up mostly to his role at Oklahoma and just being a high-volume guy, but he really reads the floor. He reads the floor two steps ahead. His passing, as far as mechanics, I guess you could say, are ridiculous. Like He can throw a skip pass with his left hand across the floor at high velocity. There aren't five guys <laughs> right. in the NBA that can make that pass, right? Yeah, he really so, puts a zip on it, too. Like It gets there. And he's not even like peak strength yet. He's already added, I think, 10 pounds of strength postseason. Mm-hmm. So when he gets stronger, that pass is going to be even faster. It's just you don't you don't see guys who can do that. Uh, pass with both hands, make basically every read in the book. The only problem with his passing is he doesn't pass over the top. He's not a guy who can just right. – he needs to create – the angles to do it but he has the craft like he's a super creative passer on drop-offs etc and he does read defenses one step ahead that's going to help him the craftiness is off the charts but if if i had to nitpick about his passing it's it's mostly the fact that uh, some of the passes aren't going to be easy for him because his angles aren't the same as a guy who's six six or six seven so let's talk about the swoon this is a big part of the narrative obviously the first half of the season he was just unstoppable it wasn't like he was garbage in the second half but he came off these otherworldly numbers so how much should this factor into a team's evaluation of his talent and what does it tell us i think there are concerns about attrition here as far as a guy if you expect this guy to play 82 games and then play in the playoffs because if you're drafting him high you're hoping that he contributes to winning basketball can he hold up physically that long uh-huh. That's going to be an issue because he's just not he doesn't have the physical tools of a high, you know, highly athletic player. So can he, is he going to wear down? I thought he wore down at Oklahoma because he was tasked with an absurd usage rate, like historically high for a freshman, like the highest for a freshman. I think that we've seen from a guard. And yeah. I think he wore down in the second half of the season. He just didn't have the same pop in his game to me. Um, as far as first step, as far as burst, he, he just got tired because he couldn't. He could never play off the ball. He didn't have a chance to do that. So at the highest levels of play, I do think that that factors in. That's one of his biggest negatives to me is the attrition aspect. And can he physically hold up over the rigors of a 82 game season and then play in the playoffs at a high level with that kind of extreme output? So that's a it's a concern for me. But I, I don't view it the same as a lot of people do. Is like there's a total drop off in the second half of the season because guys started locking him up. Right. I mean, ski. Teams started to de- definitely started to scheme for him uh-huh. very specifically. I've pulled a couple um, clips of guys, and you'll see him basically triple teamed in his zone, and nobody's paying attention to anybody else on that team because uh-huh. they can't do anything. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like their team, his teammates were really, really bad. I think that bears mentioning. He gets some comps to like Alonzo Ball as far as situation, but Alonzo, to me, his situation was the complete opposite. Like he's playing with three or four NBA players. It's an optimal space system. Trey was more like, here's the keys to the car. There's nothing else in the car. You know what I mean? Like you're just driving it yourself. <laughs> he's driving one of those Flintstones cars that you have when you're a kid, and your feet touch the ground. Um, exactly. Right. So. Let's talk about, you know, just sort of maybe these two are wrapped up together more than I want to talk about his size and I want to talk about his defense and how the two interact. Um, First of all, is his defense as bad as advertised? He's got a reputation for being a a very poor defender, I would say. It's bad. Like, there's no way around that. It's Mm -hmm. bad and it it profiles to be bad at the NBA level. He's not going to be a positive defender. The key is the magnitude of the badness. And I do think he's probably not as bad as his reputation suggests, just because he's a really smart player. Um, I think the instincts are going to show up better at the NBA level, especially when he has more energy. The way he was utilized defensively at Oklahoma, he was basically switching a bunch of stuff off ball to stay away from the ball so he could rest. So you didn't get a chance to see, because he couldn't foul. Like He was instructed not to foul. So you didn't see a lot of anticipation in the passing lanes as much as maybe you could. Like He was a pretty good steals guy in high school. So you didn't see that same output, again, because of role, and he couldn't foul because he was too important to the team's offense. So I do think it's a concern, especially you watch the playoffs and how guys like even Terry Rozier are headhunted, and he's a much better athlete, and he's bigger than Trey Young. So I do think that He's going to get hunted at the highest levels. Even Stephen Curry does. That's unavoidable. It's just, is he Isaiah Thomas level bad? He's not as small. I think that that's, you know, that's the worst case scenario. It's like a minus two um, defensive real plus minus kind of guy. You're looking at a minus two potential, which is, you know, it's, it's hard to stomach. He's going to be a weakness. It's just, again, can you insulate him enough to where it's not crippling? Does that size affect his offense at all? Obviously, it doesn't seem to as much as, the, as with the defense, but... What's the impact there? I think you see it mostly in the paint as far as finishing. Not very physical at the rim. He doesn't have dynamic pop. So he has to rely more on touch shots. And he's got incredible touch, honestly. Like some of the floaters he had this season on high volume, he just has he is wizard touch to me. Like it's just it's phenomenal uh-huh. to see him convert at different angles. But yes, you're gonna see that lack of size in the paint. If he gets a guy on his hip, does he have enough explosion to really separate? He doesn't have the length extension around the rim. He's not a great leaper again, so how big a problem would that be? Offense. Sorry, how big a problem would that be for you know just reaching his offensive ceiling if he doesn't improve his finishing at the rim too much? Do you think he can yeah, skirt I mean, by with uh, reasonable facsimile with what he's doing now, or does he really have to up that? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I do think he has to improve there. My ceiling comp for him has been Steve Nash, uh-huh. and that sounds ridiculous, but you look at the skill level, and if he develops that way and he gets all those crafty runners that Steve had, that's how he's going to have to win, is, is win with craft, win with touch. So the size element, you, you have to be able to mitigate that. On a team like the Knicks, I think that would really help because like, in, if the, a pick and roll with Porzingis is like the foundational set in that offense, the big has to really respect Porzingis' pop gravity. So that's going to give... Trey Young more space to operate and that's where he's most optimally used I mean every player needs more space of course but I think that's going to do wonders for a guy like Trey Young yeah I mean so that was definitely on my list people started and you mentioned Steve Nash I mean people started with the obvious maybe lazy Steph Curry um (laughs) (laughs) comp although I mean I get it I I don't think it's crazy that people would say that just because of you know where he's taking shots from kind of a slender small guy whatever then the sort of backlash to that first knee-jerk comp was sort of Steve Nash um, because of the playmaking and distributing. And I do think that's pretty fair. Um, but, you know, we are talking about these defensive shortcomings. Um, 
how realistic? Do, I, I know you said you do think it's possible that he could be like a Nash type player. I mean, I'm not sure how I want you to quantify this, but like, does he have as much? Uh, like, would he have the best chance out of anyone to be Steve? As good a chance as anyone could reasonably expect someone to become a player like Steve Nash? I think that's how I want to phrase it. Yeah, I think that's really well said. As you look at the prospects in the past, and he, to me, he's the most similar to that kind of player as far as there are shortcomings, but the, how advanced his skill level is and his IQ on the floor, he's the only guy that has really come across to me that resembles Nash since I've been doing this, which admittedly hasn't been super long. But last year, you look at the point guard class, and nobody's as good of a shooter as Trey Young. He's the best passer of that group. I know some people say Lonzo, but Trey Young just has much more on-ball gravity, and it, you know his handle is way better than Lonzo's is. So I just haven't seen a guard this skilled, and I think he is deserving of that ceiling outcome. But that's like a 90, 95th percentile outcome, of course. It's just a tail upside mm-hmm. that you like to chase at the top of the draft. He has that tail upside. What do you think would be a like, step-down, sort of much more reasonable uh, expectation for him? You mentioned Isaiah Thomas before, the current Isaiah Thomas. Do you think that's more within his grasp, or is that still you know, prime Isaiah Thomas? We're talking, obviously, not post-injury. But... Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that's more along the lines of what I would classify him as. I think he has those scheme-changing qualities of like a Damian Lillard where you have to respect his pull-up so much. I think he's a better passer than Lillard is, but Lillard's a better athlete. So there's no real obvious comparison like people can get the hell out with this jimmer for that nonsense like it's just it's just absolutely it, it's well, insane if you watch them so give me an elevator pitch for why he's not jimmer for that just to answer those people i mean his handle is like a million times better than jimmer's he's so much shiftier than jimmer is his like, immediate horizontal explosion his first step is actually pretty good uh-huh. and his release is way faster like his he transitions into his pull-up way quicker than Fredette. I just think he's a better overall functional athlete. Um, Jimmer has size advantages, of course, but I think uh, that just that comparison doesn't hold any weight for me. Like Trey Young's better, at literally everything on the floor. <laughs> offensively. So you know, you're obviously I, I think you're quite good at what you do. You spend a ton of time uh, researching these guys, thinking about them, writing about them. You're looking out at other writers and prognosticators and podcast hosts and everyone else who's paid or not to give their opinion on the NBA. And I think it's fair to say that general consensus is a little bit lower um, on Trey Young than kind of where you are putting him. I don't think you're wrong. I have a really high opinion of him personally. But what do you see when you see other people talking the way they talk about him? Do you think they're being reasonable and you just kind of more believe in his upside? Do you think they're missing something? What do you think is going on there? I think it goes a lot of draft talk ties into philosophy and how you approach just the general ranking system. So you see, I do again, I do a podcast with Sam Bassini and we have basically polar opposite viewpoints on prospects, like not the specific analysis, but how we value them. So he values high level athleticism that intersection with production. So he values guys like DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley more than I do because of that athleticism and again, how they produce, especially in points and rebounds at, at the college level. Whereas my upside is tied more to skill level and IQ. That's yeah. why I have Luka Doncic number one in the class in his own tier because I do think inefficiency in the draft is thinking that less athletic players are don't have the same caliber of upside as more athletic guys because they don't see the same how are they going to improve that much we see that argument a lot for guys like Trey Young Luka Doncic and you look back in the past and it's not really supported by the evidence like look at Stephen Curry look at James Harden these guys weren't high level athletes coming into the league but they improved their skill level enough that now they are 
two of the best offensive players we've ever seen. So it goes a lot to philosophy. Some guys rank on safety at the top. Um, historically, that also says is probably the wrong way to look at it because the guys that are really difference making are the ones that matter. Like a Joel Embiid, for example, in his right. draft, like he's, his upside was the highest. Uh, you, for me, you have to chase upside because if you get a, a quality player, it, it depends on where you draft to. Like at the top, you really like it's always nice when you're safe to value. Like a Jaron Jackson, for example, he does things that are valuable for the big position, and he also has upside. So if you get a prospect like that, it's really intriguing. But for me, at the top, you just have to go after upside. And I think you, that's where you see some disconnect with some guys is how you both value and equate upside and how you lock in like a like a safety floor example of a guy you just know is going to produce at the next level. So that, that's where you get the disconnect. That was actually really clarifying for helping me figure out why I think – the way I do about these guys, because for me, I, I heard you describing what you value, kind of what I value too. I'm sort of obsessed with this. Um, it's not really a great analogy, but I use it all the time on my podcast. That I think basketball is a lot closer to something like racquetball, where you can be like an old man, but you can whoop some young guy's <laughs> ass if you just like know what you're doing, know how to position yourself, know how to play angles. Um, you obviously need a baseline of athleticism and. Sure, you know, all things being equal, I'll take Steph Curry with like 10 more inches of vertical leap or whatever, but it doesn't, <laughs> but it doesn't work that way, you know? And it's, I think the hardest thing to suss out sometimes, because there's not necessarily any one stat that shows this, although you can look at an amalgamation of a bunch of different things, but is their IQ, you know? Um, and that does add intrigue and mystery to this whole thing, because a little bit of that is reading tea leaves. I mean... Hopefully you can see enough signs in what they've shown before they're drafted, but it doesn't always work out that way. Situations are always so different. Um, just complicates things, but in an intriguing way that I enjoy and find fun. Um, talking about Trey Young, if he were available, let's say we're in some bizarre universe where both Trey Young and Michael Porter Jr. are available. It sounded like you're going with Trey Young there. Yeah, I just think there's more certainty. As crazy as it is to say, because it would sound crazy a year ago. Like, they played on the same AAU team, and Michael Porter was clearly the better player at that level. Uh -huh. um, a lot of the guys who watched them consistently would say that, too. So, yeah, I mean, I just... Trey Young's safer to me, and he also has higher upside due to the role he's going to play at the NBA level. And this is another disconnect point with a lot of draft coverage, is how you value roles and how you value positions, I guess. So you look at the league right now, the guys who have the ball are usually the most impactful players like yeah. LeBron, Stephen Curry. Like you have to you have to be damn good to be a high level on ball player, but I think that Trey Young that's within his range of outcomes and that just gives him higher upside than a secondary creator type who isn't like a dynamite defender. Most of the impactful defenders in the league are bigs. Um so that's that that weighs in, in the calculus a lot for me is like you look at Trey Young's role and that just has a ton of value. If he hits, you're yeah. looking at a guy who can be the engine of an elite level offense. So that's, I mean, those that's, guys, yeah, that's but, like for me outside of a Doncic, I don't see anyone who affects one side of the ball in this case, offense, obviously, like so much and has such a huge impact on his teammates potentially um, than Trey Young. And that's why I, it's surprising to me that people think it would be you know like a mistake especially to draft him at nine um as far as Nick's fit goes how do you think he would fit in there I I, I feel like he would fit perfectly with Nilakina. I feel like they perfectly complement each other it almost seems I'm not destined because no good things are ever destined to happen to the Knicks but um how, how do you think his fit would be with this current roster I knew I liked you man we're agreeing a lot here, so this is, this is good. Um, <laughs> That's part of why I wanted to have you on because, I mean, I, I don't think I need to tell you. Most Knicks fans, I think, are would be kind of furious at me for being such a Trey Young stan. But, I mean, 
I, I think it works great. But anyway, sorry, I'm kind of cutting you off. What, what would you think of his fit on the team? No, I love it. I think I always viewed Neil Aquina as more of a two guard or a wing um, who can bring. That's when he brings value offensively is spotting up from three and then be able to handle in secondary pick and roll. Like He's a good pick and roll passer for sure. But I don't know if he has a level of dynamism that you look for from a lead ball handler. Yeah. But having him next to Trey on defense, you can get creative there like Nilakina can guard point guards you can kind of hide Trey if you need to I mean in the modern game they're going to be switching a lot regardless so Trey's going to be a liability but that's the kind of guard that I'd want to pair Trey with and offensively overall it's just you you have a fulcrum of your offense that's in my opinion could be one of the best in the league with Trey Young and Porzingis you have a pick and pop big who opens the floor for Trey and he can really make every read in the book but if you give him added space to pass if you give him added space to handle that is when he's going to be most effective if guys aren't crowding him if you play him with like a a traditional big that can't pick and pop i think he might have some problems as far as dealing with more crowded areas then you start to really harass his passing lanes but porzingis really opens up the floor for him so i love the fit yeah and so if he's there at nine no matter who else is available you think they got to pull the trigger on that yeah i mean for me the next level prospect I have, probably have on my board is like a Wendell Carter that would be available. And I just don't like that fit nearly as much. I want Wendell at the five um, for his offensive abilities, yeah. especially. So it, it becomes a really easy choice for me personally with Trey. If he's there at nine, I think he's the clear guy. I have a real – with the Knicks, I'm very much best player available right now. But I'm also kind of lying and not because I just don't want a big – like maybe there there could be a big like if jaron jackson jr was there or something i'm like "Eh, okay i could see that he's rangy he's switchy on defense i don't want to pair anyone remotely as bad as ennis Cantor on defense with porzingis ever again that's a horror show (laughs) um but yeah we haven't done our bigs pod yet where i'll talk about some of that stuff but i just with porzingis on the team I, i want him firmly entrenched at the five i know it's positionless and they move around and all that but he's clearly most dangerous long term there i mean so okay i think that's it i think we covered all our uh, bases with michael porter jr and trey young i want to um thank you so much for joining us cole why don't you let people know where they can find you online and if there's any recent work you want to plug now would be a good time to do that too Sure. So I'm on Twitter at, the, at a very creative Cole Zwicker, just my name. There so you, you can check that out. And I co-founded and write for The Stepian. It's a new draft site that we launched, I think, early November. We do things a little differently. If, if you visit the site, we categorize guys in roles. We have a different big board. We don't do mock drafts. I think that's a lot of the disconnect, too, with people that follow us is uh-huh. people are like, this is a weird mock draft. You have DeAndre eight and fifth. It's like, that's not the mock draft. Like that's our, that's a big board. It's more like we're not an Intel based site. It's all like what we watch on film. Sometimes we see things live, but for the most part, it's just, I guess you'll find it maybe refreshing that the coverage isn't as mainstream as some other sites. So we approach things differently. So check out the stepping.com. I just wrote out, I just wrote a piece on looking at trends for bigs in the playoffs in the NBA and kind of how that, trickles down to some of the draft prospects for big so if you listen to one of the upcoming podcasts on this network as far as when you guys talk about uh bigs potentially for new york maybe that'll be a useful um place to supplement that for some of the listeners yeah and i can't uh cole does a great job the step in is a great site i really recommend you guys uh head over there especially those of you who are despondent over the untimely demise of draft express uh the step in just is doing fantastic work so cole thanks again for joining us it was great to have you on Anytime, man.
All right, that's it. Woo, that was a good one. Cole might be too smart for me. I don't know if we can have him back. Ask him questions and he responds with all this information. I've got to process it. It's real burden for me as a host sometimes when you deal with someone who knows what they're talking about like that. But I do want to thank him very much for coming on. I want to thank you guys very much for listening to Locked On Knicks. If you have a moment, help me out. I'm begging. <laughs> I'm begging. I'm throwing myself before you and begging. Rate us on iTunes. It really helps. Subscribe to the show if you have not already. That really helps, too. Just download this. Mm. Tell other people to download this. Mm. Tell your friends. Tell your friends' friends. Tell your friends' friends' aunts and uncles and bus drivers. About Locked On Knicks, you can also follow us on Twitter for bonus takes and general camaraderie. We got some good discussions going on Twitter with listeners of the show. It's fun. Locked On Knicks, you can also follow me at NBA Injury Report. Be chill to each other. Spay and neuter your pets. If it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it right down. Always salt the pasta water. And don't you dare question how much salt. You think I don't know how much salt to put in the pasta water? You Twitter critics, I'm telling you. Take that, take that, take that for data and tune in tomorrow for another episode of Lockdown Knicks. Peace! Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly. An AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write. So I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 